Okay. I'd say finances for last. Okay. That's the biggest category. Welcome back to the Nomadic Gregor's podcast. I'm Anna. I'm Cameron. And this week we're going to keep going with our everyday life experiences and pointers on what we've experienced living abroad. We're going to get into the topic of water. Believe it or not, there are things to say about water. And we're also going to be looking at internet and finances since those are sometimes rather different from what you experience abroad. So they take a little bit of finagling, but over time what we've seen is that it can be done for sure. So before we get into things today, uh, we want to say that you can find us on Spotify now. Uh, we've uploaded all of our podcasts so far, all first five episodes and the sixth episode, the last of this sort of three-part series of what it being an expat is like for us. Um, you can find all these now on Spotify, which is fantastic. You can just search for Nomadic Gregors as in the search bar and we should pop up. Yeah, and on that note, um, if you have any feedback for us on the audio quality, since we're still um, playing around with what works best for us, please feel free to leave us a review on Spotify. You can drop it down in the comments here. Anything that you think that will help us deliver this better to you, please let us know. We're happy to receive your feedback. Yeah, we really want some feedback. I watch it and I get a little upset with the audio because we're in an all-concrete apartment, so the, the audio bounces off. We're going to get some dampening you know, studio, whatever they put for, to help reduce echo and reverb in places, and it'll be vaguely professional. Again, we're, we're, I tell him, we're building material now so that when we have a hundred episodes, we can say, we can do a reaction video on reacting to our first episodes and cringe heavily. That'll be amusing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, last thing before we get started today, we do want to say that we're, we are talking about finances, some as an expat, as well as... Taxes. You know, well, taxes, but internet VPNs. Please note that everything we say is our experience and is not um, legal advice or I'm going to say it's sound financial advice based on our experience. Exactly. But that's not what's best for everyone. We're not recommending you do what we do. Exactly. This is based on our personal experiences only. And of course, your experience and your needs are going to be completely different, most likely. So before you go abroad, uh, we strongly recommend that you sit down with a financial advisor, you sit down with a tax professional, but that's exactly what today's episode is about. It's about what to think about when it comes to the way that finances, taxes, internet changes, and what kind of advice you need before you move abroad so that you're prepared and you can make the most out of it. So on that note, uh, we're going to save finances for last because that's sort of our biggest topic. We'll talk about water. Yeah, that was the one kind of everyday life thing that we didn't cover last time. But, I mean, obviously we all need water to survive. And what you see in developed countries is not necessarily the norm in the rest of the world. So it's important to know. But not even just developed countries. So one of the things that I want to mention is that for many of the people that come abroad, especially as teachers, since they tend to come from uh, Western Europe, U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, no, that's not everywhere. She's from the Dominican Republic. We have people from um, South Africa. South Africa, which I guess Zimbabwe. Also, a number of different places. places. But for those people coming from the U.S., Australia, England, things like that, you're used to being able to go home and grab a glass and turn on the tap in the sink and drinking that water. But in many places, whether it's overly developed or not, um, you can't do that. The water just isn't high enough quality. Sometimes 
it might be contaminated with things that might make you sick. Like there's a, you know, in certain countries it might be cholera is a real risk. Yeah, in some countries it could be an issue of the water is not potable because it may have bacteria. And so if you are going to consume tap water, it should be boiled. And in some, in some instances, you might find that even in places where you can drink the tap water, you might get a boiling water advice like you've seen in some places in the US in the past few years during floodings. But in other places, and this was our experience in Shanghai, um, the issue with the tap water can be heavy metals. In Shanghai, the water piping is very, very old and hasn't been changed in a long time. So it's not a great idea to drink the tap water. You also see um, kind of the heavy metals in the water in Shanghai specifically. Um, when it comes to your hair, your hair might suffer a little bit because of the heavy metals in the water. Um, so just differences that you know do have an effect and change the way that you do things. And that includes here in Saudi too. We don't drink our tap water here, no one does in Saudi. And part of it I think is again heavy minerals, but also with sandstorms and dust it tends to sort of pollute the water a little bit. Now it doesn't mean you can't do normal things. I've never lived anywhere where I haven't brushed my teeth with the water. China, Dominican Republic, and perhaps there are places, but I, I have never lived anywhere where I haven't brushed my teeth and felt overly unsafe. Yeah, it might, you might experience some sensitivity for a while in your first couple of weeks when you move abroad if you brush your teeth with the tap water and you're not used to doing that. So if you feel that you have some discomfort and you're not sure that it's anything that you ate, it might just be the change in the tap water if you're brushing your teeth to rinse and you rinse your mouth with it. I noticed that even going from Hawaii to Oregon, that it would change my stomach had trouble handling the water. Now, in some of these places too, like China, like here in Saudi, it doesn't mean you can't drink the tap water, you probably aren't going to get sick, but it's more of a long-term health effect. Whereas in the Dominican Republic, there's a greater chance of getting some sort of uh, gut disease, intestinal disease that's going to cause you some more serious problems in the short term. Exactly. Whereas maybe not so much in the long term. I don't, I don't know much about diseases like that. So or in bacteria, infections, whatever. Well, one of the issues with waterborne diseases is that a lot of them are bacterial, so they take antibiotics to treat, and in some cases they might not necessarily die entirely, so you might be more prone to repeating should you find yourself in the same situation. So again, though, you can pretty much do everything in our experience with water. Um, one thing to note, though, is that some places, like her country, doesn't handle toilet paper that well. Oh yes, um, flushing. So you may be in a place where you can't flush toilet paper. And sometimes that's a cultural thing. Uh, I think that happens sometimes here in Saudi. Definitely happened in China. And sometimes it's a simple matter of the pipes can't handle it, as in the Dominican Republic. Absolutely. Depending on the kind of sewage capability of where you're going, you might also find yourself with that changing your routine, where you are not able to flush your toilet paper and you'll need a trash can in your bathroom. And that is hard to swallow for <laughs> some Westerners. I have a friend who would just not refuse. He would refuse. He flat out would not do it, couldn't do it. And I, to be fair, it took me some time getting used to when I had to do it. But um, for some people, that's that's the uh, what's the word I'm thinking of there? That's the that's the, the line, the, the deal breaker, the line in the sand that, that they are not willing to cross. <laughs> is that you're not throwing away, you're not flushing down your used toilet paper. That can be tough for some people. But it is a difference that that you should be aware of that might become part of your everyday life, depending on where you go. That's definitely something that 
either you should ask someone if they don't mention it during orientation week or someone will definitely mention it during orientation week. No, someone won't definitely mention it. It's a good thing to ask. <laughs> uh, but it's something just be note of, to take note of. Even in places you might expect, when I lived in Russia, in St. Petersburg, you know, it's five and a half million people, can't drink the water. Um, and uh, my host mom, the first, time, the first time I was in Russia, giving me dacha water, she's like, oh, we drink this, this is fine, but I could not drink the dacha water. First time, shame on them, right? They gave me some dacha water, I think I could handle it. I spent the whole next day at home. Second time, though, I got home late, I was young, and I was thirsty, oh boy. and I was sitting there, that time, shame on me, right? <laughs> I needed some water to hopefully feel better the next day, and then two sides of a very evil coin going on right there, and I picked one side, so. So you might be wondering, okay, so if I can't drink the tap water, then how do I figure out having water all the time? Because I have to drink it, and I have to use it for cooking, what do I do? Uh, in China and here and the Dominican, we've always used bubblers, or it, it's been easy to order and get the big five-gallon uh, five gallon jugs, and you just hold things in. It's not nearly as efficient to fill things up, but here we found it really useful because it has a hot water uh, function, meaning we don't need to heat hot water up for tea or certain other little things. Yeah, so and that's kind of nice. Yeah, so having a dispenser is nice. In China, we we also had one. We had that set up. Um, with a company that offered the service, same here. In the Dominican, we would just order the five gallons from the corner shops, the Colmados, and they deliver, and they're amazing about it because they'll carry that heavy thing three flights of stairs for you, which is great. And they deliver everywhere that we've lived. So you'll always find someone who'll know how to get a hold of the water guy. And that's one of the first things, you know, when we moved here, that's one of the first things we had to get set up because we didn't have much water to drink. And there's a little local you know, shop here on our compound, but we want to make sure we have plenty of water to get us through each week since they deliver every week. For sure, and getting those five gallon bottles is just a little bit more manageable in terms of waste as well, because usually what you can find at the store is maybe 1.5 liters or maybe a couple of two or three liters or maybe smaller gallons, and that just means that you have to buy more at a time, which can get heavy if you don't have a car, and then just creates a lot of plastic bottles in your house that you have to deal with. Well, these ones, when they deliver, they take them back. But there are people at our compound here who go to the store because they sell the five-gallon ones, they get take their empties, putting the five gallons back in the shopping cart, and I'm just not willing to carry those things or drag them along in a shopping cart. It's too much. One of the things that you find a lot when you um, live abroad is, and I, I, I don't know if this applies to the U.S. really, but when you live abroad, there are small things that it's, if you can pay for the convenience of getting the help, do it. Why not? We have our five gallons delivered on a weekly basis. It's, it's set up. We, we have it as part of our schedule. So we're never surprised that, oh no, we ran out of water and it's 9 p.m. and the store's closed, so what do we do now? It seems like a minor thing, like, oh no, I can go get water, whatever. But when you get in the, in the grind of things and you are busy and sometimes you are not aware of when your water is gonna run out, it's just easier to have it set up in a schedule. It is easy, yeah. Um, well, so that kind of covers water. Um, you know, it seems like something that would be common sense, but when you go to a new place, it's not. And I should say too that when I say the US and Canada and whatnot, that doesn't mean everyone has access to clean water. As Anna said, 
places like Flint and certainly many, unfortunately, of the uh, places uh, Native American don't have access to clean water, the different tribes in the U.S. and Canada, which is needs to be fixed. But that's it. That's not on our agenda for topic today. What are we moving on to next? So now we'll talk just a little bit about internet and phones. Uh, Should we go with phones first? We'll start with phones. So this is the first time we've been abroad and I won't say what company because I don't know that they necessarily are excited about us being abroad having these. But it's the first time we've kept our numbers while living abroad. We've always sort of tried and then didn't find it worth the cost. But now we do. And so over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, I've probably had eight or nine different phone numbers. And while that's fine for me, it's inconvenient for anyone who wants to get in contact with me. So we come abroad and this year we have paid for our plan. We pay each month in the U.S. as minimal as possible and it allows us to keep a U.S. phone number while also still paying for one here in Saudi. So the reason why that's helpful is also because it allows us to not have to change our phone number for things like two-factor authentication on our accounts. If we need to get a verification message, then it can be done there. And then of course, our family and friends can still reach us by text message on our American phone numbers, which is incredibly convenient and allows us to um, stay in touch a little bit better with people. I also recommend looking into, if you go abroad, just a, a third party. There are apps you can use to get a phone number that you pay that don't necessarily require a SIM card that are useful for things like banking um, that you may not want to use with things like WhatsApp. I'm not sure they'd be compatible, but uh, for banking purposes, maybe a doctor's office back home, something that's going to be reliable and you know it's not going to uh, cut out. I will look and see if we can link a, a document to some of those apps uh, later this week uh, that are helpful for when you're abroad. You might also want to consider um, a voice over IP kind of number, something like um, Vonage or Magic Jack where you get an American number, you plug it into your computer and you can still receive phone calls as if you had a landline. You can, you can also use, like, I guess people still use Skype, I don't know, I don't think anyone uses Skype, but uh, a really popular one is Google Voice. Google Voice offers you a phone number, generally in an area of your choosing, so the area code in the US anyway that you'd like and you can download an app and get text and it'll forward to whatever phone number you want it to. I think it'll forward to international numbers but I'm not positive on that. So the way that we do this right now with having still our American numbers and our local phone numbers is with a dual SIM phone. Um, not the best person to explain how that works but both numbers are in the same way. If we want to use one or the other we can switch within our phones. Yeah, you don't have to get dual SIM. That's just what most phones are going towards. So, I mean, SIM cards are not hard to pop in and out, but for us it's nice because we do have access to both at the same time. But that note, you also want to think about uh, if you do have dual SIMs, for example, uh, or a phone with a SIM and an eSIM, you want to make sure that your phone will work abroad with a new company. Uh, and that means not being locked into your phone carrier. mobile provider back home. In the US, it's a lot more common than in Europe because they tend to lock you into these still, I think they, maybe not as often, it's been so long. They do still have, you know, these carrier locked phones, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, that you can't use it with another phone company. Uh, 
Um, they'll sign up for two-year contracts, and I think that's still a thing as far as I know. Yeah, so if you are considering moving abroad or you, you want to make sure that your phone um, works abroad, then look into making sure that your phone is unlocked or just buy an unlocked phone when you purchase your next phone. Yeah, so you can buy phones unlocked. You know, We buy phones unlocked generally. But also if you've been a long-standing customer with one of the phone companies and your contract's up, I believe they will unlock the phone for you. So make sure that you check with your phone carrier if that's something that you're interested in and you want to make sure that your phone is unlocked, which you should if you want to have it work abroad. T-Mobile used to be, you had to be a two-year customer before they would do it, but I'm not sure anymore. I think the same with AT&T, but that may have changed. So, excuse me. That's something to consider when you come abroad too, is having a phone that you know will work with an international number. You can always buy a phone in country too. Uh, just know that the ones that you might buy back home, Apple, Samsung, are going to have a markup. You'll be able to buy other phones, whether that's uh, HTC, uh, if that's still a company, is that still around? I think so. HTC, uh, Huawei, Huawei um, Sony, uh, some of these other ones that... Nokia? I think Does Nokia exist? I don't know. That at least the ones you're used to back in the US, they're going to have a, a significant markup. You know, we go to the Apple store here, and things are anywhere from 30 to 80% more expensive. I want to buy some travel adapters for our phones and our watches when we go. And they're $100 back home. Here they are, I think, one 150 No, they're 150 Okay. They're 180 in Bahrain. That's so Bahrain was even more expensive. So just know that things like that do tend to run in price. So we tend to buy in the U.S. Um, all right, anyways, that brings us to our last... Uh, topic today, which is finances, where we'll talk about, to an extent, banking in-country. Um, we won't talk about that much because that really varies from bank to bank and country to country. And, you know, I'm, we can give some examples of my experience, but it's not, it's far from the be-all, end-all of what you can and cannot have happened to you. The other thing that we can that we can cover when it comes to banking and when it comes to finances is, um, for example, the type of setup that you might have in the typical international teaching contract when it comes to currency. Depending on the rules of the country, the way that you are paid does change, and that does factor on how you plan for your finances. Yeah, we might touch on that. We'll see how much time we have. Um, so one thing that I will say for banking is that at least in our last this post and in Korea. Banking has been far, far easier than it is back home. Absolutely. I We lived in Korea for two years and not one single time did we go to a bank. Never. Not even to sign up. They came to the school, we signed up. Here in Saudi, we went to sign up initially, and then we will probably never, ever go back. Maybe to close an account when we leave, I don't know. Um, yeah, it depends on the amount that is in there. Maybe we have to go get it out in person or something Closing like that. accounts is a whole other story. I, I think yeah. Technically, I still have accounts open in every country I've lived in because <laughs> they, they won't let me close it. But banking is, for the most part, way more modern than it feels like back in the West, in the U.S. But there are some subtle differences, too. You know, it's very easy to send money back home. We you know, know that you're going to pay a fee probably from your bank here, wherever you are, and definitely from your bank back home. Yeah, Although, so definitely factor that in. Um, that you are going to be paying for wire transfer fees um, and that's that's just a cost that well it depends on how often you're going to send money back check check banks back home some banks will waive fees i'm not sure 
Um, so double check on that, but that's a, that's a bank specific question. Uh, another thing that's very interesting is that in the US, you don't give out your account number or certain other aspects, whereas in other countries, that's fairly common. Um, maybe not in all countries, but in our experience, to give out account number is no big deal. It's a way for people to transfer money from person to person without an issue because there are other features in place that are necessary for someone to actually access your account. And that makes it really nice to, rather than say, oh, I don't have cash, let me just send this to you. And sure, you can do it in the US through Venmo or... PayPal? PayPal, Cash App. That's um, it. You can use Apple Pay as well. But those are all third-party things that I'm not as big a fan of. You know, Venmo just recently changed their policy, you could look back and see transactions that everybody had made. Or something, you know, someone they found Joe Biden on, on Venmo. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, and there, there's just some security issues with some of those apps that I'm less excited about. So I like that we can just transfer money here within our own banking app in country. And Korea was the same. So usually what's going to happen is that you're going to get a bank account set up um, through your employer. Um, that'll usually be part of your orientation process as an international teacher. In some places, you cannot get your bank account set up until you have your residency permit. That was our experience in Korea, and that was our experience here in Saudi Arabia. Once you get your resident permit, um, then you too, can... I think. Yeah, probably. I just I wasn't it's, working in China, so I can speak uh, to it's it. It's pretty normal. Yeah, so then you'll get you know your bank account set up. They'll help you set up online banking, and you'll have a debit card. You'll probably get a debit card that has usually the logo of one of the major companies like Visa or Mastercard or something like that. And you can use that to withdraw money on ATMs and do all the normal things that you would do with a debit card. Some countries are different, you know. Uh, China uses Union Pay. Oh yes. Uh, I'm, I think you can still get Visa and stuff. I had a Union Pay card. Um, and here in Saudi, you can get Visa, MasterCard, uh, Amex not so much, but the main is called MADA, M-A-D-A, and that's what many cards are based off of here. Uh, I don't know if that, I'm assuming that's Saudi-based, I'm not sure what it stands for, but... Uh, I'm not sure what it stands for. So just know that, uh, yeah, you can pretty much get access to the, whatever you need as far as cards. You can get, you can apply for a credit card, some people do, most don't, because they have them already from their home countries. Um, but some people feel like they can get a credit card in country and it's not as big of a deal because it doesn't have access to your credit score, things like that. Um, and so they feel like, you know what, I can mess around with the credit card a little bit more, but I've never done that, don't have any intention. Absolutely. And over time, I think that what we've noticed is that banking, as we've moved to different countries, our experience is that it's in every country that we go to it's more and more and more modern here it's the norm that you'll be able to pay with a contactless card which if you are um, in the u.s for example and you're getting ready to move abroad maybe it's a good idea to contact your bank get your credit card switched to a contactless card it just it makes payment a lot easier and you can also set it up on your phone i sometimes just pay with my phone as well yeah everywhere we've been pretty much takes apple pay um, I think Samsung Pay as well, or Google Pay, or whatever it's called. Um, that's, I, I would say it's more common. Apple Pay is more common in other countries than it is in the U.S. Yeah. I'm not going to a restaurant in the U.S. and paying with Apple Pay, whereas everywhere we we've gone, for the most part, 
we can pay with Apple Pay. Yeah, here we often use it with um, for um, home deliveries, like ordering food. I used it a few weeks ago for a Sheen order on the app. <laughs> so it's definitely more common in, in other places. And, and yeah, it's not as cash-based as you might think that other countries are. It's in, depending on where you go, you might find yourself in a place where credit cards or electronic payments are actually more of the norm. But um, China, for example, was pretty cash-based. Here, sometimes we need cash. Yeah, not anymore. That definitely changed. Um, but yeah, it's not not the not the the picture that you sometimes have when you go abroad, where you have to exchange a lot of money and go to the exchange place and all of that. Electronic payments are now the norm in most places, and either through card or by mobile pay systems, you can you can get something figured out. Yeah, I almost we almost never exchange money anymore. No, um, we just use an ATM, and so we also have a card that offers us uh, no ATM fees, where we get charged and we get reimbursed, I think up to six or seven times each month. Um, so when we take cash out, yeah, you get a better, for the most part, a better exchange rate than you're going to at, say, airports. And maybe not as good as you would if you went to an actual exchange center somewhere in the city, but I just prefer the ease of putting in a card, pulling it out, and being done. Yeah, so for the most part, we can do the majority of our transactions with our American cards if we want to. A lot of those are travel-based cards, so we appreciate building up our points while we're still out here. All right, so uh, just to speed things up, because we we're pushing, we're gonna push our time by the time we're done, um, we'll talk a little bit about retirement. Now, again, this is just our experience as teachers, and every school is different. Uh, I know here in Saudi, Saudi Aramco has, different, uh, has a different plan or helps with retirement in a different way. But you're generally, as a, at least as an educator, not if you're working freelance or if you're working for a company, you're not gonna find a retirement plan based into your school. Now, you know, you're not gonna find 401ks or their equivalents. Some schools will offer signing bonuses and offer a severance depending on the number of years you were there, but that's not retirement. Uh, some countries will have mandatory pensions that you have to pay into and you get that when you leave country but again, it's not going to be a retirement unless you plan on spending your entire career there. Yeah. So you have to build your own. Um, and with that, it can seem a little scary. My dad is terrified of us not having enough retirement because we don't, we're not gonna get social security the way he does. And all these s systems that he is used to that we won't have that he thinks are super, he thinks is super, you know, solid. Um, and I, I don't necessarily agree with him. So this is all to say, do not put your retirement on pause just because you're going abroad. Take advantage of the fact that you may have fewer expenses and might be able to save to still build up your retirement, be fed up as much as you can. If you are not getting contributions from your employer, this is especially important. Take advantage of that compound interest. Talk to a financial advisor to figure out options. Um, if you have an account from a previous employer, look into your rollover options so that you can continue contributing, but don't stop saving for retirement. Yeah, so you know we there's a lot of companies out there, Vanguard, Fidelity, uh, Charles Schwab, yeah. that allow for targeted retirement uh, dates, targeted retirement funds. You pick a date, you say, oh, I'm gonna be you know, 20, 
50. It's when I'll be close enough to retirement. That's my target date. And there's called, they're kind of like robo funds, right? And they will automatically invest as long as you're putting money in. And as you get older, the idea is that these accounts and these, these investments become less and less risky, switching from stocks to bonds, um, so that you're, there's less volatility as you get closer to retirement. Two books that we recommend on this subject. One is uh, Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich. It focuses a lot on US type stuff because that's where he's based, that's what he knows. But the other one is called... The Millionaire Expat? The Millionaire Expat or the Expert Expat Millionaire. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's The Millionaire By Expat. Mark. I can't remember his name. We'll put it in the show notes too. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but he talks... It's... I think he wrote it from the perspective of a teacher teaching internationally and things you can do to save for and prep for retirement as someone living abroad, especially a teacher. Uh, but Ramit Sethi's book will talk about other options you have too outside of 401ks and IRAs. So uh, we recommend both those books. We'll put them in uh, the show notes when we're done with this. So that's sort of, again, that's our experience, okay? We're not advocating that you do what we do. Uh, we, as Anna said at the beginning, we, want, we recommend you speak to a financial advisor before you come abroad. And on the topic of taxes, just to close up, um, please also make sure that you are aware of what your responsibilities are when you move abroad. When it comes to American citizens, you do have to report on your worldwide income. So even if you end up not paying taxes because you qualify for an exclusion or a foreign tax credit, you still have to file a tax return. So please make sure that you well, know about we that. Can, we got a little bit of time to talk about taxes. Okay. So, so transitioning from retirement to taxes, one of the main forms, one of the main retirement accounts people use in the US are Roth IRAs, which don't work abroad if, you're not, if your income is not taxed. So for 99% of expats, it doesn't mean you can't have an IRA that you had before, but the money you're making as an expat generally won't count. And that's because as an American, you're gonna to have to file your taxes. Regardless of where you live, you have to file. But you may not pay money on those taxes under an act called, or an, ex, an act exclusion called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion. And Depending on how long you've been abroad, the criteria, there are two criteria. You either have to be outside the U.S. for 335 continuous days, or you have to be a bona fide resident and have your tax home in another country. If you meet those, the money you make, for the most part, it's my understanding, again, I am not a tax person. We pay someone to do our taxes. Uh, it's too complicated. You will not pay money, you will not pay tax on your foreign earned income. Yeah, and so there are thresholds that are set per taxpayer. So if you are a couple like us, for example, then we have a much higher threshold at which we qualify for the foreigner income exclusion. As, as a teacher, you're never, you're almost never going to hit that. Probably not. It's like one hundred eight thousand dollars <laughs> a year um, per taxpayer. Per payer, yeah, not not per couple. So you're almost never going to hit that, but. There are requirements, so you still have to add your foreign income on your to on your uh, ten forty. Yeah, if your foreign accounts have over a specific amount, you also have to report that. You can usually file an extension to report that, but that does have to be included. Well, those in are those are, I think those are due later anyway. They are. So it's called an F bar, and if at any point your foreign account has an aggregate of ten thousand dollars or more in it, you have to report that to the IRS. So the U.S., if you're watching this, you're from the U.S., you're very lucky because you and the country of Eritrea are the only two countries where you have to do this. 
Those are the two countries in the world where you have to report on your worldwide income. Other countries have different rules and eventually your tax obligations kind of diminish over time the longer you're living away from them. So the U.S. is special. It's really fun and it's extra, extra convoluted. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of the benefits of coming abroad is that you're not taxed on your foreign earned income as long as you meet certain requirements. And that means more money in your pocket, more money to invest in your retirement that you are now having to plan for yourself, and more money to travel, which is part of the reason you probably came abroad in the first place, to do these fun things. So, you know, for us, that's a pull. And for you, that might be a pull as well. But just be mindful that there are things you still have to do as a U.S. citizen specifically for your taxes back home. And we've known people that have um, neglected these obligations and have been forced to pay back taxes or have been audited. Um, and it's a hassle. You just not something you want to deal with. So while it's, there are breaks for foreign for foreign earned income, it doesn't mean it's just you come, earn money, and do whatever you want. Yeah. So like with most things in life, with advantages, there are obligations. With great power comes great responsibility. So just make sure that you're aware of how you can manage things like your finances and taxes when you might have obligations or you might have earnings in different places so that you can keep things straight. Yeah, I know too, at least if you're in the U.S., different states have certain requirements on things. I don't know that you can always exclude, I think California has restrictions about foreign earned income. Um, so be mindful of that. And again, we talk, we advocate for talking to a... A financial advisor. Or a, or a tax... A tax a, professional, one that has experience in foreign taxes. Yeah. So, you know, um, when you come abroad, talk to your colleagues, your new colleagues, and they can probably, they'll probably know somebody. Yeah. So, well, that's about all we probably have time for today. Um, so we want to thank you guys for tuning in. Please, again, let us know about the audio quality here in the YouTube comments or on Spotify. Please rate us on Spotify and YouTube. Um, if you can, I don't know if you, I guess like on YouTube. Yeah, in YouTube, the currency is like, subscribe, share. In Spotify, follow, leave reviews. Yeah, so that would be great. Um, we're also curious to let us know about the audio quality. Um, just, you know, if it's good. And you can contact us through our website at nomadicgregors.com and uh, send us an email and we'll get back to you. If there are any topics that you are curious about or that you would like to see us cover in a future episode, you can also drop it in the comments or drop it on your review on Spotify. Thank you so, so much for your time and your support. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you. Bye.